Well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Nice to see the room full. And um, it's great that, uh, well done for doing the regs, and that we can now have six friends sitting together, if you book together, and remember to do your lap flow. That's really good. And by the end of the month, we might even be alert level zero. How wonderful is that? Yes, good. So the new series we're looking at in this season is called In His Presence. And we're really looking together at how can we experience the presence of God and how can we live in the presence of God. And so this week, we're carrying on from where we left off last week uh, when Julian was talking about Obed-Edom. Do you remember that? So if you're thinking baby name, you pregnant mums, quite a nice one, isn't it? Obed-Edom has a bit of a ring to it. And we learned all about the ark and where the ark was. So first of all, this morning, we're going to have a look at what is the ark? And Julian talked a little bit about this last week. I'm just going to explain again. So what is the ark? If you have the next picture. So this is like an engraving years ago of what it might have looked like. And basically, when we talk about the ark, this is what the ark actually is. It's a rectangular, lidded wooden box, overlaid with gold, inside and out, with carved angels on the top. And it's about a meter and 10 uh, centimeters by 70 wide and 70 deep. So you get the idea. And it was designed to have rings on the side with poles that go through, so it was totally portable. And this fun the function of this special box was it contained the tablets of the law, um, and that's the Ten Commandments that Moses had uh, that encounter with God. And so this box symbolizes God's presence with his people. So when we're talking about the ark, that's the significance to any reader or any person at the time, the ark of the covenant or the ark of God. It contained the tablets in it, beautifully overlaid inside and out with gold, totally portable. But the function of it is to symbolize God's presence with the people. So if we go back to the time of Moses, you can see somebody's done this painting from the Prince of Egypt here. Do you remember when Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt? And after he led them out, God made a promise. And he said, I will be your God. You will be my people. Let's do this thing together. And they became God's special people. So about three months after escaping, God invited Mo Moses up Mount Sinai, and he gave him the law and the Ten Commandments for all the people. We're very familiar with the Ten Commandments. The laws are also in the Bible if you have time to sit and read them. And basically what they were is advice and help and laws to keep the people safe and how to live one with one another. How not to, you know... Uh, want someone else's stuff, or what happens if your donkey falls, and what to do on this day. And it was laws all about health and safety and the community of God living together. So this was a really key moment in the life of Israel. Now for us, we have the Bible, don't we? We have God's spirit in us. We have the Bible that we can follow God's word in our lives. But back then, that's what they had. And so in Exodus 31, we hear how the Ten Commandments are written on the stone tablets, and then God says, I need you to build me a special box to put them in and a tent for keeping it in. And so this is the significance. Now, in the camp where the people were, this was a very, very visible, rich, majestic sign of God's presence with them. So as people walked around, did their daily chores, and as they went from one place to another and the ark was carried to the people, it was a visible sign of God's presence with them. Totally portable, take it with them, God's majestic presence. 
And it's interesting as well how God really involved the people in the making of it. And I love this. So he, he asked them to build the ark, but then to build a tent to go over it. And it's interesting how God knows all the materials for this are in the camp, in people's pockets, in people's belongings, that people had all the things needed to create this beautiful tent that they were going to make over the ark and for making the ark. And this is what it says in, um, two, in Exodus 25. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them. Isn't this interesting? God knows all the stuff is there, and now it's when the people hear about the collection that God prompts their hearts to give it. These are the offerings you are to receive, and this is what they would make the tent out of. You are to receive from them gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. I don't know if they had forest uh, breeze or whatever it was. And oink stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. And these were going to be used for making the ark and making this beautiful tent. And it's like he involved the people in it. And so the people gave their stuff, and it was woven into curtains and coverings. It's amazing. And they made this beautiful tent. So you've got to imagine you've got the ark, and then you've got this beautiful tent of purples and reds and all embroidering it over it. And then over that, they made a, a covering of goat's hair, and over of that, leather. So it was protected from the elements. So it didn't get ruined, it didn't get faded by the sun, but there was an outer coating, a skin, animal skin coating that kept everything special and beautiful and amazing. And so this Ark of the Covenant, God's promise, the covenant is, I will be your God, you will be my people. It was a very special and sacred box representing God's presence and power. And if you follow the uh, things to do with the ark through the Bible, you see how it got stolen, it got lost, and it got retrieved, and all the things that happened with it, it's really amazing. So now we're going to fast forward from the origins of the ark from Moses to David, where we were at last week. And so David, as you remember, David is on the run from Saul, and it was relentless. He's being chased through mountains, through valleys, hiding. It went on for years, and then finally, we find in 2 Samuel 5, it's recorded that David, now at 30 years old, storms Jerusalem, defeats his enemies, and is finally anointed king. And David goes on to rule for 40 years. That's amazing, isn't it? After all that running about and God proving his character and being with him, finally he's anointed king. But when he's anointed king, immediately he has to fight battles to secure his kingship. Because when he was anointed king, his enemies rose up and see, this is the moment when there's all change happening. See if we can snuff him out. And so in 2 Samuel 5, we hear, when the Israelites heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. And they were going to try and snuff him out from being king before it could even start. But David, he had God with him, and he fought many battles, and finally, they have peace. And once they have peace, he's been anointed king, defeated his enemies. One of the first things he wants to do is to restore the ark and to bring it back. And so as we heard last week, he goes to get it with 30,000 able young men. I mean, this is 
big operation now. It's not some small little thing in the corner. He gets all the guys together. They all go to get it. And if you remember, they're all worshipping. It's an amazing time. But it all goes horribly wrong. A man dies. It's a long story for another time. And so David doesn't want to bring it back now. This is like everything's gone wrong. So he goes, we learn, and parks it at Obed-Edom's house. So in 2 Samuel 6.10, it says there, He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And there it is for three months. As Junin explained last week, Obed-Edom got the blessing. He now has the ark of the covenant parked on his uh, land and there. And he has this three-month blessing on his family and his livestock and everything's going great. And eventually, um, David hears about about in 2 Samuel 6, it says the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. So finally, David hears that um, Obed-Edom's being blessed. It's time to bring the ark back, and this time he needs to make sure it's done properly. And there are two parallel passages in the Bible now talking about bringing the ark back. And the first one is 1 Chronicles 15. It says this, After David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark of God, and he pitched a tent for it. Then David said, No one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him. Because the first time they did it, they put it on a new cart, thought that was enough, but actually God had said it was so holy and special, they needed to show the respect and it should only be carried on poles on the shoulders of the Levites, who were the ministers before the Lord. So this time, David plans to do it properly. Then I love how there's a little aside about how he put the word worship band together. There's like a bit of a rotor going on. I really kind of like this. It appealed to me. And so he gets the worship leaders together and he's organized. He says to the, the, the Levites, right, go and organize among you loads of lyres and harps and cymbals. I don't mean lyres like not telling the truth, you know, lyres like their guitar version, guitars, lyres, harps, cymbals, bronze cymbals. And then they say, and get me Kenaniah, the head Levite in charge of the singing. That was his responsibility because he was very skillful at it. So they got the best singer to organize all the singers, and they got all the musicians. And when they're going to bring this ark back, it is a massive celebration. Loads of people from the smallest to the greatest with music and singing and worship and the Levites carrying it. And the parallel passage in 2 Samuel 6 says this, Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went up to the ark of God from the house of Obed, went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. I love this. It's no passive thing. He's been waiting for this. With all his might, he dances. He's been made the king of everyone, but he just goes for it now, and he's worshiping and dancing with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. 
So for us, it's important to realize how big a celebration this was, how important it was. It's talking about David in his kingship now. He doesn't want to do anything without the presence of God, and the presence of God in a visible way that all the people see, all the people involved in the celebration, and all the people can see the presence of God is with us. And so as we're going into this season of study about the presence of God, It's important for us to see how essential it is to be living our lives in God's presence, how central and what a big event it was here. And this is what happened at the party. 2 Samuel 6.18, it says, After David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. And this is the crowning glory of it all. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. So how nice. There was even cake at the end of it. And everyone, this great celebration, but how personal it was that everyone collected their loaf and their cakes and they went home and they shared that at home and the celebration continued. So it's about the glory and it's about the personal. It's all about the presence of God. This has a huge significance. And so what happens next? Once they've had this party and the tent is up and the ark is there, what do they do next? And this next part that they do is key for us. There are some principles in it that will help us in our approaching the presence of God and knowing his presence with us. So this is what happened in the next part, David and the ark, 1 Chronicles 16. It says this, Then on that day, this is when everything is finished, on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. Let me skip to verse 40. And then David organized for burnt offerings to be offered to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering regularly, morning and evening, to do all that is written in the law of the Lord that he commanded Israel. And with them were Heman and Judithan and the rest of those chosen and expressly named on the rota to give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And we're just going to unpack this a little bit to see how it applies to us. So I want you to just pray for a moment, just quiet in your heart, and just pray for a moment and ask the Lord to really speak to you now And as we unpack this of teaching us how to come into his presence. And if I ask him now in your own heart, Thank you, Lord. We ask that you'll stir in our hearts the ways to reach you and to come into your presence. Your word will be inspired into our hearts now, that it will be life-changing for us. Amen. Okay, so we're going to unpack it a little bit. We're going to look at four things out of this. And the first thing is thanksgiving. On that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung. And there is a link between his presence and worship and gratitude. Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. So for you and I, coming into his presence, wanting to come into the presence of God, what posture or what attitude do we come in with? 
it's important that we come in with one of gratitude and thankfulness. And that is like the starting place. And when we come with thankfulness, it acknowledges that we know who he is and who we are. We're coming with a humility to thank him for all he has done and for who he is. And, and there's a link between this approach and coming into his presence. So do you want to experience the presence of God to a greater degree? Do you want that? Well, the gateway is thanksgiving, coming in with thanks. And it was interesting um, this morning with um, Beth leading the worship in that way about coming into his presence with thanksgiving. But it's up to us to develop and cultivate a grateful heart. Now, if someone said to you now, can you list on your hand five things that you're grateful for? What can you thank God for right now, right this minute? Think of five things that you can thank him for. So we could say today, thank you, Lord, that we're, we're in this building. We have a roof over our head. Thank you that we're not alone, but we're sitting with friends and church family. We, we thank you that we have PA, that we can actually hear what's going on. We thank you for all these instruments. We thank you for people's time to rehearse and bring this. We thank you, Lord, for forgiving our sins and welcoming us into our family. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. We could go on. So that's when we come into God's presence, we come with thankfulness first. And we, we live in a society that's very, what I want next, what I want to have next, what's on my list to do to have. And that can crowd out this simple key of thankfulness, that we come with thankfulness. And is there someone you need to say thank you to? Is there someone in your life that you can go, do you know, I don't think I've ever thanked John for driving the bus for me. I don't know if I've ever walked past the live stream, guys, and go, thanks for that. Is there someone in your life to thank? Let's develop a thankful attitude. When Julian and I first got married, I was shocked how when I would cook a meal or a dinner at the end of it, every single time, every single time, he would turn to me and say, thanks for cooking dinner. And I used to think, well, that's nice. But he did it every day. And still now, we've been married, what, 37, 38 years or something. And, and it's just a simple thing. But I feel appreciated. So now he does more cooking than me. I try to remember, thank you for dinner. Thank you, I enjoyed that. And maybe I didn't always enjoy it, but I still say thank you. <laughs> Only kidding. <laughs> thank you, Julian. I'm very grateful. <laughs> every day. Psalm 100 says this. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Before we go any further, let's unpack that. We are his. We belong. We belong to him. We are not alone. We are his sheep. We belong. It is, but it's also he who made us. He is the creator. We are the created. We come to him from that posture of thankfulness. He is the creator, and he made us. David goes on to say in this psalm, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all the generations. <clears throat> so if we want to come into God's presence, start with thankfulness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the very air in my lungs. And the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? They'd seen him going off to a lonely place to pray. And they asked him, and Jesus talked to him about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. And if you just notice how it starts, Jesus says, when you come to pray, pray like this. Next slide, please. 
it says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or holy be your name. Now, let's notice this. It's the first reminder is who he is, our Father. He, that Abba, Daddy, personal relationship. It's the, come, come to me, I am your Father. I am a loving Father. I'm not like any father you've ever known. I am your father. It's the invitation first, the personal, the tender. I am your father. But it quickly moves to who is in heaven, holy be your name. He is our father, but he is the majestic, almighty creator God. And it brings us security, but also a sense of respect in our hearts. And those two go together, the intimacy and the glory together, right there at how we should pray. So when we want to come into his presence, come with a thankful heart, knowing who he is and who we are, that we belong. He's the Abba Daddy, but he's also holy is your name. And we need to come to him with a thankful and grateful heart. And so an attitude of gratitude is essential. Also, it's interesting, isn't it, how God gives us these instructions that are actually not just for his glory, but for our own benefit. If you've ever been through a difficult time, you know that our thinking affects our emotions. We reflect what we focus on. So whatever we're continually thinking about is reproduced in our emotions. Then we might not know why we're feeling down or struggling or distant or lonely because it all starts in our thoughts. And if ever you're wrestling with those type of emotions, start to think, what have I been thinking about today? What did I watch on TV last night? What conversation did I have yesterday? And it is what we focus on is reproduced in our life. So as we give ourselves to an attitude of thankfulness, that will be reproduced. The fruit of that will be reproduced in our life. If you want to change your life in one week, put this into practice. Thankfulness on waking, on sleeping, as you go about your day, bring this thankfulness to the Lord. And our second point is really linked with this, when it's about remember. So it says, next slide, remember the, wor the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he, offer he uttered. And again, this is reminding us, is very closely linked, number two, remember who he is. That gives us security and it helps us to come in an attitude of respect to the glorious God, remembering who he is and what he has done. And this is a, a, a season in coming to his presence where I feel, I was explaining to Julian the other day how I feel in my spirit, it's a little bit like this. We've all gone through like two years of COVID, which we're all a little bit fed up with. We're trying to stay hopeful. And it's a little bit like if you come home from work at the end of the day and you're tired and you're a bit weary and somebody says, come and look at this. And they clean the bathroom. It's beautiful. You know, it's uh, semi-dark. There's candles. There's a nice hot bath. Maybe this isn't your thing. Maybe a hot shower is your thing. And somebody says, just go in there. There's clean towels. Take your time. Lock the door. There's no rush. Just go and relax in that hot bath. It's an invitation. And this series is like an invitation, an invitation to the presence of God. We can live our lives out of that. Now, maybe the hot bath isn't your thing. Maybe it's an icy cold plunge bath, and uh, maybe that's your thing. But God is inviting us. Um, and when we come to him, it's not just a a soft, passive thing, but it is putting this into practice. It's bringing a discipline in our lives. Remember who he is. Come approach him with thankfulness. 
Okay, number three is seeking the Lord. And again, this is linked, the seeking the Lord. The hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. And that means to stir up or feel joy. Do you want more joy in your life? How do you stir up joy? It says to seek the Lord. The hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. And this is not a passive thing, but it's inviting us to actively seek after him. And we will discover joy. And we'll have joy in our hearts as we seek after him. And if you remember, Jesus said, Seek and you will find. Keep on seeking and you will find. He's talking about himself, that we will find him. And lastly, point four, David set up the offering regularly morning and evening. <clears throat> and so here he is talking about a regular rhythm. There was a rhythm of this. So he appointed people to, be, to sing thankfulness, God's glory, to seek him all around the tent and around the, the ark, but to do it morning and evening. Now, I don't know, was that at sunrise and sunset? It was the first thing they did in the morning and the last thing that they did at night. And here, <clears throat> there was this rhythm of morning and evening, morning and evening, a regular rhythm of staying linked. And that's true for us. If we want to be walking in God's presence, make it a regular rhythm of our lives. And I remember years ago <clears throat> talking to a youth leader, and they were saying that um, <clears throat> they were like weighing up whether to say to the young people, don't bother having a special time to pray and read your Bible, but just talk to God all day long. Now, the downside of that is there is no special time. The upside of that is that you're connected to God all day long. So both are true. And you can see here that David created this timetable, that there was a time when people came and did this in the morning, and they did it in the evening. If you do your Lectio 365 on the app, there are morning prayers and evening prayers. And it's a good thing for us to remember to come into his presence, to wake up in the morning, and the first thing we do, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for being with me. Thank you what's ahead. And when we get into bed at night, thank you, Lord, for being with me. Thank you for uh, your answers to prayer. And, and to have that linked rhythm. Now, I was trying to think of two examples of when I've experienced God's presence as a um, might trigger you thinking of a time when you've experienced God's presence. And these are two ones that I was thinking of, very practical. So it's great when we're like in a worship meeting or a service or praying on a hill and we have a presence encounter with God. That's amazing. That's really special. But as well as those special encounters, we want to be able to live in his presence in our day-to-day, -day, don't we? So these are two that I thought of to share. The first one is when I worked on The Gap. So many years ago, we set up a project called The Gap, and this was where our main building was in Penland, and it was um, in an area that had a lot of crime, truancy, a lot of difficulty, and the young people there were really challenged and lived in challenging circumstances and were dropping out of school. So between us and another school, we invented this project called The Gap, which we then did for many schools and over 2,000 young people in that part of Swansea. And so there was a team of five of us on this project, and it was hard. I mean, it was hard. I would wake up every morning, and I'd be like, God, you need to be with me today. Please be with me. It was challenging. It was difficult. But these young people, they're special to God, 
They had uh, particular needs and were rather lively, as you can imagine. Um, but if any of you are ever watching this who came through the gap, we love you all. You're very special to us. And so our aim was to help these young people when they arrive and in many ways are in despair, to go through a nine-month program and come out the other side in jobs, um, training, further education. And this project was so successful, but it was so hard. And every morning I would just pray, Lord, help me today. Help me as I go into work. Help me with these young people. Something would be kicking off and you could give me wisdom how to handle this, how to look after this person. And also, I had to write the trainings. I can remember so many times sitting with a, like a blank sheet of paper in front of me, having to write a lesson to help them learn how to work in a team or uh, to negotiate without aggression or um, you know, to manage their time or money. And I'd be sat there and I'd be, Lord, this blank sheet, give me something, help me create a lesson from my thoughts that will help these particular young people to get from A to B. And I found God's presence with me. He walked with me all the years of that project. We ran it for 13 years. And every day I felt God's presence with me, however hard, however tough, however many times I'd be driving home thinking, I don't know if I can do another day. But God helped me and blessed those young people. And loads of those young people you know, changed their attendance from being truanting to 90%, 99%, 100% attendance. They gained qualifications. They went into jobs. And the second part of it then, the next um, slide, thanks, Fee, is that all these young people, because of the success of the project, it started to be seen by people across the UK. So I started to get invited to speak at conferences of between three to 500 senior managers in business, finance, education from across the UK. Now, this was really scary because we're like a church project, but what we were doing uniquely worked, and it was a great opportunity, but again, I was just so frightened. God, I need you with me, and I'd be praying on the train up there when I check into the hotel. The night before, I'd go down and I'd see the room I was going to speak in. If there's no one around, I'd get up on the podium, just practice like standing there, like it's going to be like this, and I, you know, that's okay. And i go back to my room, and i practice the talk, and just all the time praying, God, I need your presence. I need your presence with me. And then on that day, they would always put me on the talk after lunch, which you know is the graveyard slot. And so in that graveyard slot, I would get up and show the pictures and, and all, the, all that was happening with these young people. And it was an opportunity. At the beginning, I could say, this is church doing this, and the rest had to be all education. So it was all education. And I would just feel God with me. I'd feel it's not, it's not a preach, but it's like a, you know, a seminar, it's a conference. I mean, one was in um, Chelsea football show, you know, ground there. They, there's amazing suites and everything they have there. And every time I would do this talk, at the end, when you have to be willing to answer questions for about 15 minutes, somebody in that crowd would put their hand up and say, is there a church near me that can do this? I was such a great witness for the work of the church. But I needed God with me. And I'm sure for each of us here, we are going through things in work, at home, at school, at play, where we need that continual presence of God, walking in his presence, that he helps our natural gifts and abilities. But beyond that, we really need him. And the other, the other time, which was perhaps more personal, is when I went through a season of grief after uh, my mother died. And... Uh, she got sick 5th of November one year, died the 24th of Feb. And um, I would be doing the gap all week, and on the weekend I'd drive down and I'd care for her and look after her and drive back. My twin brother would do midweek, and 
it was a very difficult time. And so the grieving kind of started early. Um, but I remember when it was all over and coming home, coming back to the gap. And the first thing we did, we had this big leaders lunch for like, I was like 200 leaders in Penlan, and I was doing the catering. And uh, everyone was like, you don't have to do it now. And I said, no, really help me just focus on something else. But I remember going through that season of grief, just not feeling myself. And I, one of the things I really remember is standing in Tesco with a trolley of shopping, looking into the freezer cabinet at a lasagna. And I remember looking at that lasagna, knowing I have no strength to pick it up. And I just stood, I don't know how long I stood there. And in the end, I was like, Jesus, help me. And I just walked out the supermarket, and I went and sat in my car, left it all in the supermarket. And I was like, Lord, to walk through this season where I don't feel myself, I need you. I need you to prove yourself to me. I need you with me every day because, you know, I'm going into work and I'm doing these things, but I just not myself. And God turned up and he walked with me and he helped me and he was with me every day. So whether it's something in work or something with our, in our own heart of grief or anxiety or uh, something we're not coping with, Jesus is there for us. He wants us to be carrying his presence in us, not to struggle by ourselves, not to do it alone, but to be walking with him. The ark was portable. It was meant to be carried. It was meant to be with the people. And Jesus wants to walk with us every single day in whatever we face. And so what do we learn from this David bringing the ark back? And what do we learn about worship? To recap, an attitude of gratitude. Let us turn ourselves counterculturally into a spirit of thanksgiving, into everything we have. Let us today, all through, the, thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord, for that. I thank you. It will change your life. Remember who he is and who we are to him, as well as what he has done. Seek actively. Don't be passive, but seek after his presence. And make sure there is a regular rhythm of coming into his presence. And the last thought to close. When I, when I was writing this talk, there was one thing that really struck me at the end. So this is one little thought to close on now. So God was in a tent in the, the tablets are in the ark, and he's on the move with the people of God. And we see you know, David finally bring this home. And it says this in 2 Samuel 7, it says this. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all the enemies around him, David said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. And Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Sorry, Nathan, you got it wrong this time. This is what I want to say to David. I love this. Go and tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this very day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Whenever I have moved, wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers who commanded them to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house? Now this really, this really struck me. Here is David. 
this big thing about bringing the art back. It goes wrong, it goes right, there's a celebration, it's done. And then when it's all done, he sits back and says, I think I've made a mistake. I mean, I'm living in this beautiful cedar palace, and God's presence is just in the tent. Nathan, what should I do? Yeah, do what you think. And then Nathan comes back and says, no, no, this is what God says. Have I ever asked any of you to build me a house? No, I am happy traveling with you. Now, this is the thing. We know that Solomon, David's son, went on to build a beautiful, the beautiful temple in Jerusalem because David had blood on his hands. He was a war hero, so he couldn't build it. But it's a reminder to us that God is looking to dwell in our hearts. He didn't say, yes, David, go and build me a palace now. And the tent is not enough. He was saying, see this tent, see this box. It's a symbol of my presence. And I don't want to be stuck in one place. I want to travel with you. It's not like coming to church into a building, doing our bit and going away and surviving our life alone. But we actually carry his presence with us. And the beautiful thing, of course, in John 1, 14, John explains there that the Word became flesh. That's Jesus. Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Or it can be translated, Jesus became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. In other words, the picture of the ark and the tent is a picture of Jesus. Back then, they didn't know it, but it's a picture for us because his majesty, his glory, the gold inside and out, the beautiful curtains, the embroidery and purple and amazing, that's the glory of God, the glory of Jesus, who he is, covered with the goat skin and covered with the leather. That talks about the flesh, the outward flesh that Jesus himself came to this world as a man in flesh that you and I could see him. But then he was in one place at one time, but now he's gone back to the Father. He has sent us the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit can be with us, each of us, inside us, living with us every single day, not following an ark, not coming to a building, but the very presence of Jesus in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So come on, guys, let's do this in 2022. Let's know more of his presence. Don't live life without him, but let the presence of Jesus be flowing out of you in everything you do to affect our mind and our hearts and our service in this world. Let's pray. The last verse we're going to put on there as we pray in Ephesians, it says, this is Paul praying for the, Ephes- the church in Ephesus. And he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that's where he dwells now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you how you gave a visible symbol to your people, the Israelites, that as they traveled around, they had the reassurance of seeing your presence with them. I thank you now, Lord, that you have tabernacled among us and that your spirit is in our hearts, that you dwell in our hearts by faith. And I ask, Lord, for your great blessing upon every person online and here in the room, that we'll know your presence, your tangible presence with us, but also your strength in walking with us every single day, whatever we face. And I ask, Lord, that you'll help us this week to just be pouring out our thanks and praise to you and that it will be a gateway into your presence. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.